Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now let's join lead pastor Scott Simarok as he teaches at Church on the Hill. All right, so last week, we started this series by, by calling this to Lent, to Lent or Not to Lent, right? And um, for some of you, you're familiar with that. Some of you, uh, you're not. I will tell you, when I was a freshman in high school, I changed churches. And if you've ever changed churches, it's, it's a frightening experience or an insecure experience. You walk in, you don't, don't really know anybody. Well, you, you start learning people. And if you haven't been to church in 20 years and this is your first Sunday, listen, I get it. I, I've been there, Right. But my freshman year, I switched this church and February rolls around. And people start saying things in the church like, hey, what are you giving up for Lent? And I'm like, for what? Listen, I was a freshman in high school. I mean, I've been going to church all my life. 14 years old, I was a Christian veteran. I knew church. And all of a sudden they start talking about this thing. I had no, I had no concept. Like, I just don't know. And so I, I knew I had this choice. Listen, I could either lean in and learn what they were talking about, or I could lean away because I felt like an outsider in the, in the group at that moment. Listen, I know what it's like to feel like an outsider in church because I, I've been there. I don't want anybody to feel like that. So if, if last week's message or the fact that you weren't here last week and all of a sudden I message this, this Lent, go back and listen to the message. Because I'll be honest with you, the concept of Lent comes with some baggage. And we talked about it last week. But Lent is simply this. Lent is the scaffolding that holds up a 40-day season where we practice things that are in the Bible. Giving, praying, and fasting. Those three things. And we're going to talk about today the giving part of that practice. Now, Lent is, is really this. It, it's this season where we're trying to focus on those three habits so that when we get to Easter, we're celebrating it in a really special way. So do this. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to get there in just a minute. The series we're talking about is called this. It's called Secret Devotion. Because under each of these habits, Jesus sells, says this. Whatever you do, just don't tell anybody you're doing it. Keep it a secret. So, as I'm about to read this, Jesus has some expectations and some warnings when he talks about these three habits. Um, here, here's where he starts. Ready? Chapter 6, verse 1. Verse 1, watch me. It's the umbrella to these three habits. It's the introductory statement, and it reads this way. Be careful. Be careful not to practice your righteousness. If, if you've got a pen and you've got a paper Bible, underline that word Righteousness. Not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. First, we've got to note this. Jesus says, don't practice it. He just says, be careful when you do. He has an expectation for anybody who's a Christian, which by the way, pause for just a minute. That means if you're not yet a Christian, you're totally off the hook. <laughs> you can listen and learn on this one. But like, these are expectations for people who are followers of Jesus. And his expectation is this that we're going to do acts of righteousness. Let, let me explain this by way of an uh, illustration. Um, have you heard of the uniform effect? Uniform effect. 
Um, what effect does it have on our brains when people put on uniforms? Have you heard of this? Okay, there's this experiment. They did this with little kids. Researchers were studying kids. So they brought in groups of kids and there were three groups. Um, they gave them, they gave each group a locked box and a key ring with all these keys on it. And they told them, the, the goal is this, you, you just have to unlock the box. The problem was this, none of the keys on the key ring actually worked in the lock. That's terrible, isn't it? To do that to a bunch of kids. But here's the different factors between the three groups. Two of them were allowed to wear uniforms. So one group got dressed up as Batman, right? The second group got dressed up as Dora the Explorer. And did anybody else see that crazy bug? That is, I was like, I'm under attack right now. We'll solve that. There he gone. Um, all right. Maybe you didn't see that balcony. Didn't. Okay. We're back. Dora the Explorer. Um, what a horrible costume. I'm sorry. <laughs> Batman or Dora. I'm picking Batman every time. The third group got dressed up as nothing. Um, here's what's funny. The groups wearing the uniforms, they worked harder, longer, and calmer. At one point, one of the boys wearing the Batman suit, he stated this, Batman never gets frustrated. Um, the uniform that we wear triggers our brain. It sends a signal to our brain about two things, our identity, who you are, and our behavior that's expected of us. Um, let me prove it to you. Ready? Ladies, um, I want you to imagine you just put on your most comfy pajamas. What did, did I hear a ooh? Like, <laughs> you're there in the moment, right? Like, what, what does that trigger your brain to do? It is time to crawl in bed and watch Korean dramas, right? Um, please. Like when police put on a uniform, it triggers their mind that when harm comes, they run towards it, not away from it. Think about airline pilots for a minute. What is their uniform? It's that hat, right? And it's that blazer with brass buttons. How many pilots fly with the hat and the jacket on? I don't think any of them. Like, they take the hat off, they take the jacket off. It is not a practical uniform. What does it do? It signals their identity and their behavior. You have hundreds of lives in your hands. Your identity is the pilot. Act like one. Do whatever you have to do. Those lives are in your hands. Um, now, I will say this. Christians have a uniform. In the scriptures, the uniform is this. It's the righteousness of Jesus. Listen to these two scriptures. It's 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin. He's talking about Jesus, right? God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, when we put him on, we might become the righteousness of God. That's your identity. And that identity leads to a behavior. Let me point this out. It says in uh, Romans chapter 13, it says, rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ 
and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. The, the concept is this. When you're forgiven by Jesus, you understand that he died on a cross for your sins and you accept that, believe that, you make him the savior of your life, the Lord of your life. Talks about putting on Jesus. You're putting on the uniform of righteousness. Here's why it's so important. Too many people look at the Christian life and they think, oh, I just have to behave this way, behave this way, behave this way. And it is a fruitless, impossible task to try and change because your identity didn't change. You're just trying to change your behavior. And we have to think about this. Jesus, in introducing these three habits, he's like, listen, you're going to do acts of righteousness. But the concept is, this is just for those people who have put on the uniform of righteousness. So here it is, number one. Jesus' expectation is that those who wear his uniform, they're engaging in three righteous habits of giving, praying, and fasting. That's his expectation. But it comes with a warning. Here's the warning. Be careful not to do these three habits, giving, praying, fasting, to gain recognition. Now, let's point out the obvious here, right? He doesn't say you can't talk about it, you can't share about it. He simply says this, just be careful. That you're, not, you're not using it like a badge of honor to show everybody else that you do it, and then you criticize and look down on those who might not be doing that. Jesus' warning is really this. His followers must keep their acts of righteousness as a secret devotion. That's what he's talking about. Um, so here we have Jesus' expectation, his warning. Here's what I want to do. I want to switch gears into this discipline of giving that actually he uses this word almsgiving. Um, verse 2. So when you give to the needy, Pause for a minute. Look at me. Um, how many of in your Bibles, how many of says give to the needy? Raise your hand. How many in your Bibles? It says almsgiving. Somebody, anybody, anybody? Maybe y'all have newer version Bibles. Some of the older version Bibles, they will say almsgiving. Now it's funny because we don't use that, that word anymore. Um, I don't know if you watched the Robin Hood cartoon and the character walks around alms for the poor, alms for the poor. Okay. I'm the only one who's seen that. All right. Awesome. The Greek word for almsgiving is, uh, is this word, eliemasune, okay? It means this. The root word of that is the word not forgiving. It's the word for mercy. So almsgiving is giving that's driven by mercy for people. It's mercy for those in need. So first notice this. No one in Jesus' audience is thinking, Oh, I've never heard that before. Almsgiving, giving out of, out of mercy for people. It was not new to anybody in the first century Jewish culture. Here's why. All of that almsgiving was embedded in the law, in the Old Testament scriptures. Let, let me just point to one of those. Leviticus 19.9. Uh, it's super practical. It says this, when you're reaping a harvest, when you go out in your fields and you reap that harvest, it says, do not reap to the very edges of your field. Or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Don't go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I mean, how practical is that? You got a field, right? Grape harvest all over here, right? Northern California, grape vines all over the place. Hey, when you harvest that, I know to be really efficient 
and to uh, maximize your return, you're going to pick up every last bushel of grapes, right? God's like, no. I actually want you to be disciplined so that you're not thinking about your efficiency and effectiveness. I want you to leave stuff behind. And I, I love how he says it. He doesn't say pick it and give it to the poor. He says, leave it there. Why? Out of a sense of honor that they can go work for it. They're going to go get those bushels and it provides for people who don't have. Listen to this. It drives this principle from Deuteronomy 15. I, I think I gave the reference in your notes. I didn't put the text there, but here it is. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them, but rather open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. It goes on to say this, verse 10, give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work. Notice the reward that's there. We'll get to that. He will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. What Jesus was talking about almsgiving, it was just a part of the culture. Everybody understood it. Now, I will probably say this. There were probably some disobedient or some tight-fisted people that did not do it. And God did not bless them. Here's what I want us to see. Mercy is revealed by our generosity. I want you to do this. Uh, do you have something near you that you can hold in your hand real quick? Keys, phone, purse, whatever you got. Grab it real quick. Bible. I, I want you to do this. Grab it and squeeze it. Hold it. That's what it means to be tight-fisted, Right? You got it? Are you doing it? Or are you just like, pastor asked us to do something? I never do what the pastor asked me to do. So like, right, come on, come on. Hold it, squeeze that thing. Watch your knuckles turn a little bit white, right? Why do we do this? So nobody else can take it. Now I want you to do this. Take that same thing and open your hand, hold it. Who has it? You do, right? It's yours. You're still holding it, but you just hold it differently. If somebody wants to take it, you can get tight-fisted on it again. But if you hold it loosely, if they want it, it's theirs. And you're just ready to give it away to someone who's in need. When we talk about tight-fisted or open-handed, I want you to get that physical sensation of squeezing something and then just loosening it up so that God can do whatever he wants to do with it. Maybe right in the midst of this, I'm just curious um, what you might be thinking, what object, what possession you have. Maybe it's your time. I hold my time like this. Nobody gets my time. <laughs> what if God wants you to hold open-handedly? your time, your resources. Um, I'm going to let God talk to you about that, but Luke makes it super clear. In Luke 6, he says this, I just want you to be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. I want you to hear this. Uh, some of us, you might think you have a generosity problem. Listen, I just struggle with generosity. I just, I just really, it, it, it's hard for me. Um, the, the reality is this. You don't have a generosity problem you actually have a mercy problem. And it's not that just you don't show mercy to people. 
Here's the problem. You actually don't grasp or completely understand the mercy that God has shown you. Because I think when God grabs your heart, like, man, if, if you get a clear picture and a clear sense of how much mercy God has shown you in your world, generosity becomes pretty easy because we recognize that everything we have is from God. So generosity reveals our mercy. Jesus goes on. Uh, the problem with giving sometimes is this, that we notice that people are watching us. Um, Jesus says this. So when you give, not if, but when, right? There's the expectation. When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received the reward in full. Two ways to give. In the streets and in the synagogue. Not the temple, but synagogues that were all over the place in different towns. Uh, in the streets, there's this scenario. When you run across someone in need, like you could be tempted to give them a gift out of mercy to them. But he also says in the synagogue. Now, what is that? In this scenario, you would bring your money to a receptacle, your gift to a receptacle at a local synagogue, and then those gifts are actually distributed to people in need. Here's what's funny. We actually still do this. If you went on the Church on the Hill website, under the giving button and you clicked on there, there's the general fund. There's the global outreach fund. And then there's something called the benevolence fund. We could call it the almsgiving fund, but no one would know what that was. <laughs> it's literally, we keep this fund for people in need. It's interesting. We've had, this is not interesting. This is bad. Last couple of weeks, we've had people in some pretty serious car accidents. And our question is simply this, how do we resource them? I mean, we want to care about them and emotionally support them. And, but the question becomes, how do we resource them? because they're going to have some, some needs. And that's you giving, almsgiving, to people that will find themselves in need. So, by the way, that's for you if you need that. I know sometimes the other thing that gets in the way of receiving a gift is our pride, but that's a different message for a different time, okay? But that is actually for you. Um, you know what's interesting about this scripture? Um, when it talks about don't trumpet if you give in the streets, don't blow a trumpet if you give at the synagogue, um, there's actually no historical evidence that anyone blew trumpets when they gave a gift in the street. There's no historical evidence that anyone blew a trumpet at any synagogue when people brought a gift. I think Jesus is using hyperbole. Hyperbole. He's using an exaggeration that says, don't toot your own horn. Now, if you go to Trader Joe's and you give a gift, you'll get it, right? Because there's a bell, right? They ring a bell. Oh, look, they just gave. I mean, can you give them like, just don't ring the bell. Jesus told me not to, okay? You try that out, Trader Joe's. Let me know how it works. Mercy doesn't toot its own horn. Um, and since I was trying to think about this, like, how does that apply to us today? So don't go in the streets, run into somebody in public, and, uh, and don't draw attention to yourself. I don't know, have you seen the social media post where someone goes to a restaurant and then they give their server a $100 bill and then another one and then another one and they're videotaping the reaction of the person? Like I've seen a bunch of these and these kind of go viral and it's cool to watch that. And I was thinking, but, but they're tooting their own horn, aren't they? 
because they're posting it and everybody knows who's giving it. Why not just give it? And why not draw, just not draw attention to ourselves? Remember over COVID, riots were going on all over the place. And um, I know there was a gal who went to one of the riot scenes where they were cleaning up and putting things back together. And she said, hey, take my picture. She got out of her car, grabbed one of the drills of one of the workers that was there and was like pretending like she was putting up plywood over broken windows. And um, so that she looked like she was helping. And she got crushed in public because everybody knew someone had ratted her out. She was faking generosity. And Jesus is like, just, just don't do it. Now, how can people draw attention to themselves when they're walking into a synagogue to give? It's not a trumpet. You know what it might've been? I'm just speculating on this and I'm not the only one. There's commentators who speculate that maybe there was a, a metal receptacle there. And so when you walked in and maybe your gift was like two small coins, dink, dink, right? It doesn't make that much noise. But maybe in that medical receptacle, you come in and you have, did anybody have a bowl of pennies at their house, quarters? Like, yeah, I do, I do too, right? Because we're Dutch. Um, never waste those, that change, right? And you, can you imagine just going into the synagogue? Clank, 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 so that everybody there knew that you were being generous. Jesus calls this kind of giving hypocritical. The hypocrisy is this. Now listen to this carefully. You're faking generosity when in fact, you're actually greedy for applause. So they're exchanging finances for praise. What's going on is actually a purchase. Um, if that's how not to show mercy, how do we do it correctly? Well, Jesus doesn't leave us hanging. Here's what he says, verse three. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Okay, um, hyperbole again. Can you do anything where your left hand doesn't know what your right hand's doing? I, I think it's impossible. If not, we can go to the parking lot and find out. Because give me your right hand and I'll close it in the car door. And let's see how your left hand reacts. Right? Oh! Again, I think Jesus is just using exaggeration to say, keep it a secret from everybody else when you show this kind of generosity to the needy. So much to the extent that I'm going to say, even keep it a secret to yourself. Um, today, I was thinking about this. Like, how much do we announce our generosity to people? To be honest, because our world of giving can be so anonymous, I know that there's social media things that we can announce things on, but I mean, who does that? When you give a financial gift, there's so much anonymity to it. You can give to this organization online, that organization online. And Jesus is like, listen, keep it a secret. Can I be honest about what I think it's done in our culture? Your generosity, my generosity, no one's going to ask you about it. It's a secret. And that's the honorable way. It's a secret, which simply means this. We can fake it and nobody will know. I think that's the culture we live in. That we can stand around and think, I, yeah, I show secret devotion to God. 
when in reality, do we? Do we have generosity towards those in need? And it comes back to this question, your finances, whatever you own, your time, are you tight-fisted? Or are you open-handed? This is, a, this is a huge challenge. I know. I'm stepping on some people's toes like pastors trying to raise some money. I'm not. We're not taking an extra offering today, all right? But Jesus is like, it's a secret devotion. But if there's no devotion and no generosity, then it's just a secret. And again, we don't have a generosity problem. I think what it is, we have a, a mercy problem. So, Number three, it's a secret devotion. Number four, in verse four, he says, then your father who sees what's done in secret, he'll reward you. I want you to notice, notice this real quick. Jesus doesn't say um, when we're gonna receive it and he doesn't clarify what the reward is, but notice this, who gives it to you? He could have said God, but he didn't. He said this, your father, it's personal. Your father in heaven knows you. He knows what you need. He knows what you want. He knows what you desire. He knows how you feel appreciated. And Jesus is like this, your father, the one who sent me to die on the cross for you, who showed mercy towards you. Listen, he's got your back and he'll cover you. Your father who sees what's done in secret, he's gonna reward you. Number four, mercy garners an unknown reward from our heavenly father. Listen, listen, it's unknown because of this. He doesn't say what the reward's gonna be and he doesn't say when you're gonna get it. Now in this life, next month, next year, or maybe when I get to heaven, he doesn't stipulate and here's why. He knows who I am. He's not gonna tell me what it is and when it's coming. You know why? Because man, if I knew what he would give me when I showed generosity, you know what I'd be super interested in? Not the needy person. I'd be super interested in the reward. The reward's coming. Here we go. Yes. And I'm no longer driven by mercy. I'm driven by what I get out of it. This is all over the scriptures again about God promising a reward. So just in case you think, um, I will tell you this, there are some Christians who take this way too far. Like, listen, if you give, God will give you 10 times. Therefore give to our church and watch what God does. We ain't that church. That's the prosperity gospel, and it's not even a gospel. It's just false. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't reward your generosity. He does. Proverbs 19, 17, whoever cares for the poor, you're not lending to them. It says this, lends to the Lord who will pay back the sum in full. Uh, Ephesians 6, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for what good they do. That's not even about generosity. It's just about serving. So, giving in this context, we're not told what the reward is or when it's coming, and I think it's actually for our benefit. But the question is, do you trust that God, as your Father, He's going to give you that reward? Can I speculate maybe what the reward is? Maybe it's just experiencing God's approval. Maybe your financial gift isn't met with a tenfold thing, but it's just like, you're my kid, and I so approve of what you just did. You represented me well. You wore the uniform well. You, you let the uniform create your identity, and your identity ch uh, changed your behavior to show generosity and mercy. Maybe it's a good conscience. You just walk away and go, I know I did the right thing. God wanted me to do that. It could be joy, fulfillment, peace. Maybe it's more contentment with what you already have. 
Maybe God could give you, gift you with a sense of purpose. You know what a gift could be? God's gift to you could be the affirmation of your character because character is what we do when nobody else is looking, when it's a secret. Maybe the gift is in heaven. I, I will say this, just in a couple more verses, Jesus is going to state this, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Maybe the gift is actually coming at the end of your life. I just know this. For me, I don't think Jesus makes it really clear so that I don't get to try to manipulate him as if I could actually manipulate God. Twice in Matthew, Jesus quotes this. He says this, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And he's actually quoting something from Isaiah chapter six, because at the heart of Jesus's command is for us to give alms, give out of mercy, because God, he's not delighting in the sacrifice, in the gift. He's delighting in the mercy that we have towards other people. Um, is our world too full of mercy today? <laughs> is there just too much mercy going on on the high school campus right now? <laughs> too much mercy on the college campus? Too much mercy at Google? Probably not. Mercy, I want to just finish with this. How is it connected to Lent? I'm just going to give you some really practical ideas. Um, my thought is this. When I think about Lent, it leads to Easter for us celebrating. So let me finish with this concept. When God found the world, when he found you and me, he didn't find us needy. He found us spiritually dead. And because of his great mercy, he sends his son Jesus as a generous gift to get us out of our spiritual poverty that we could never escape on our own. The proper response to Easter, to God's mercy demonstrated in Jesus's death and resurrection is generosity towards others driven by mercy. You with me on that? This is how it gets us ready for Easter. So let me just give you four examples. Um, what if we showed mercy by sharing the greatest treasure that we have? What is it? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news of why he came. What if you shared that in the next couple weeks? It might just be an invitation to Easter, an invitation to church. What if you prayed for those people who you know don't yet know Jesus? It's a part of this, I'm going to share the greatest treasure I have. It's the gospel. People's lives are at stake at this. Their eternities are at stake. Second thing, what if you showed mercy in the streets? Show mercy in the streets by just giving spontaneously. I learned of a practice. Someone was telling me their neighbor does this. Whenever they go into like a McDonald's or a Chick-fil-A or something like that, they'll order their meal and then they'll order a gift card with the equivalent amount so that they're always armed with a gift. Stick in your wallet, stick in your purse. When you run across someone in need, they'll pull that out because they can go get a meal for that. I mean, it's just the habit of their life. Isn't that fantastic? I don't know if you'll try something like that, um, but giving in the streets by finding ways to give spontaneously. The third thing is this. What if we showed mercy in the synagogue? Now, I'm not telling you to go to synagogue, okay? Um, <laughs> the synagogue was a place where God's people met. Uh, you're sitting in a church that has a benevolence fund. If you want to give to that so that we can resource people, let God lay that on your heart if you want to do that. I, I'll say this, um, the walk for life that's going to happen next Saturday. And there's a table in the lobby out there. Um, maybe you can't walk or go do that or you're busy next weekend. Um, there's a way to give to that. You can go online. You can also just 
go out there and Natalie will explain how to give to that. Maybe your presence and your time there is going to be your gift. I don't know. But there's an opportunity next weekend waiting for you. And here's the last thing. Um, what if you show mercy by connecting your giving to your fasting? Are you fasting from lunch once a week? I, I don't know. If you, what if you did that? And you wouldn't blink twice about running down to the taqueria and spending 10 bucks for a burrito. Sorry, I just revealed to you the habit of my life. But what if you're fasting and you took that $10 and you just kept it and you saved it looking for an opportunity to give it away? Maybe you're fasting from golf. I know some of you like, don't get crazy now, pastor. <laughs> and what if you took that green fee and you gave it away? I, I don't know what your resources are or the thing that you're tempted to grab onto and hold onto tight-fistedly. But what if you did this and opened your hand and you said, God, I want to have a heart of mercy towards people. It's hard because you're like, okay, God, direct me. Like, where do I give? There's so many options and so many opportunities. And you're like, well, my one gift really matter. Leave that up to God. Just have a heart of mercy towards people in need. Let's hold everything we have, our time, our talents, our resources. And God says this, I dare you to test me in this. It, this is the only thing in the Old Testament that God says, I dare you to test me and see if I'm faithful with taking care of you and rewarding you and see what God might do. That's my challenge for you in this Lent season. Give to those in need and show generosity because what it does is it demonstrates the mercy of our souls. It demonstrates that we understand the gift that came to us at Easter and the mercy of God. Amen? Let's bow our heads. I want us to sit in God's presence for just a minute and just ask him, God, how do I hold whatever I have loosely? So Lord, in this moment, I would ask that you direct us, speak to us, Give us ideas. Open our eyes to how you see this world and those around us. God, if we're tight-fisted, show us. Tell us. Give us an example, Lord. Help us to see it so that we can hold things loosely. That we might be your resource on earth to other people. And I think this, God, as we do that, our joy rises. And there's not a person online, in the balcony, in this room, who doesn't want more joy. And so we trust you with the reward and the timing of it, God. Use us to make a difference in this world. And everybody said, amen.